The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. This is Tom coming to you from the D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. It is June 13th, 2023. Sorry for the hiatus. You know, life got in the way, but we didn't want to leave any more time before we got to our loyal fan base here. There are, there are some things going on. We just finished, wrapped up OTAs and uh, are embarking, what, today, Nick, on today. mandatory minicamp? Mandatory minicamp, and I actually just saw a story right before we got on here regarding the Buffalo Bills and how Stephon Diggs, who was whining after they lost uh, in the playoffs once again this year, somehow finding a way to blame it on Josh Allen. Or maybe I, I misspoke. He found a way to blame it on his career, <clears throat> which is Josh Allen. And uh, he's not at mandatory minicamp because he's unhappy. And allegedly it's not a contract thing. He's just mad. Uh, because apparently going to the Bills with Josh Allen, who's made him famous after being a good receiver in Minnesota and immediately getting blown out of the water and overshadowed in every single way by the guy who they drafted immediately to replace him, Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs is mad. And so he's not going to training camp in the middle of the, of the Bills' Super Bowl window. And it just makes me happy to not be dealing with that problem right now. You know, no shade of A.B. or Le'Veon or anybody, but uh, it is hilarious to see how that works and how guys can tank your most glorious moment and how the Steelmen are sliding under the radar right where they need to be. But it is refreshing to see the Steelers not dealing with that after like a four-year period of a story like that every four weeks at this time of year, it felt like. I just want to echo the pleasure I'm taking in having training camp drama <laughs> that isn't ours. Yeah, and um, obviously Stephon Diggs was an awesome receiver before Josh Allen, obviously. But um, still, it's just I, I, I do relish it. And I remember so much of this show at its inception was dedicated to, well, here it is again, everybody. Every three weeks, there was something or something else or Ben said something in the news or whatever it is. And you know what? It's the price of doing business. And when you're doing business as a top five offense in the NFL, it's a worthy cost to pay, price to pay. But luckily, uh, the Steelman might be able to slip in unnoticed here um, without that type of drama, starting minicamp today. Now, I will say they start minicamp with, without something or someone very important in the Steelers world anymore or the world period. Uh, there was, yeah, yeah the you passing into of, it? Yeah. So we, we just learned his last night's Dan Savern passed away long term, long time Pittsburgh Steelers sports media host and radio 
newspaper or television. He had his own um, Pittsburgh famous sports beat. So just a sad time. He he passed away from um, he had diabetes and cancer. Probably a uh, just a really Do you have any particular particular memories of him, or this is just yet another Pittsburgh media stalwart and who's you know left left the earth but left a legacy undoubtedly. Yeah, I mean he's in the he's in the footsteps of Myron Cope naturally. I I just actually thanks for asking me that because I, I was thinking about it while we were uh, getting ready for the show and. What I like, love about Stan is he does seem to be out of the mold of the Pittsburgh media personalities who didn't have their hair on fire. I, I shouldn't say that about Myron. He he often did have his, what little hair he had on fire. But sure. he was just, you know, as I was reading um, the homages to, to Stan, everybody was saying he would he would make us feel better after a loss. He, he just was a calming influence. I think we largely enjoy that in Pittsburgh. You know, you think about Dale Lawley and Matt Williams and Mike Pursuta. They're almost, you know, to a fault, maybe not boring, but very staid and very even keeled. Stan Saverin was in that mold and um, just right. we lost him too soon. He, he was still working up to, you know, to the end. And that's a good way to put it. There's the Steeler way, the Pittsburgh way is to be somewhat understated or to sort of downplay everything because – uh, overreacting would be, I don't want to say indistinguished because whatever the blue collar version of indistinguished is, that's what I would say. But Mark Caballi, man now of world fame, thanks to the glorious Pat McAfee show, uh, Mark Caballi now famous for becoming, quote, a human microwave who kept a Rudy sub in his cargo shorts pocket at this time last year, all the way through a day of training camp. He was tweeting um, about Stan, and uh, he was broken up about it. And basically what you described in terms of him being passionate really rang true with Mark Caboli's tweets. Mark, I don't remember exactly what they were, but he he said, if anything ever happens in your life, a win or loss, Stan's going to be the first one to text you. He will text you. And so he was the kind of guy who was passionate and he reached out. And these things are always so sad, but they're also there's that silver lining of, 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 of happiness given the fact that look how important this man was and the legacy he left. And that's yet another example of Steeler culture uh, driving into the future. And yes, right now we don't have a lot of divas because nobody's really earned the right to be a diva. And TJ Watt and Minka and, and Cam have decided there are no divas, so we're not going to do it. Uh, obviously, you know, look, love, love George Pickens. Feels like that's an inevitability at some point there. But let's enjoy our time before George Pickens demands a trade in week seven of this year, if not by next year. Because why? Because he doesn't want to be a stealer? No, because he's a good wide receiver. And that's what they do. And sometimes even Josh Allen isn't good enough for you. I, I wonder if Diggs is going to get traded to the Chiefs and be like, Patrick Mahomes, no, I need, I need some love child of Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Tom Brady all meshed together in their prime, and maybe that guy could get me the ball. Dude, he has, he had a $70 million guarantee, a four-year, $96 million contract with 70 guaranteed. They're not going to be able to get rid of him. So what I read very briefly is he's un-get-rid-of-able. He's un-get-rid-of-able. Like, that makes total sense to <laughs> yeah. me. 
Yeah, the apparently just where his contract is sitting, it, it can't happen. It 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 turns me off a lot. Like Stefan Diggs is such a smart guy and he's a well spoken guy, and when he's happy, he's so likable. But he's also so oftentimes demonstrably like angry and like or or annoyed and you know demanded a trade away from Kirk Cousins, got to play for the Bills. You know, you see him with that famous picture watching the Chiefs celebrate their playoff win over over the Bills and, and, and stuff like that. It's great. Like, he has that passion. But this is the – this is sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for me in terms of like, okay, we sort of defended you from being diva because you put your money where your mouth is and you're such a tough player and you're such a cool guy when you hear him in interviews. But this is so lame to me. Like, what team could you possibly want to go to? I remember hearing him interviewed after the Bills got absolutely annihilated in their playoff game. After they should have lost the Dolphins game to to the Skylar Thompson in the first round, but he just he was defeated because he puts so much work into it. I mean, that guy, like I said, he puts his money where his mouth is. Um, but he just said, "I don't know what we can do. Like, I don't know what we can do to get over the hump." And I always found that interesting because I've been saying this about the Bills for the past few years. The Bills remind me of the Packers from the past 10 years, which is that they're an overrated team because they have an all-world quarterback. Where really, when you look at the rest of the teams, their, their talent on the Bills is they have one, they have the quarterback, superstar, Hall of Fame trajectory quarterback. And then they have Stephon Diggs, who will be categorized as a blue-chip player. Other than that, they don't have a single blue-chip player on the roster. And I know some people want to say that 33-year-old Von Miller was playing like a blue chipper before he got hurt, and I agree, but that was the whole conceit of signing Von Miller was, hey, he's 33, you can't play him that early. The Bills talked about that before the season last year. We want to be careful playing him because he's 33. They played him as if he was 23. He gets injured. Um, who could have predicted this? And then he's out. And, and even then, like Von... He's obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer, but blue chip player. I'm talking TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, these guys. I don't know if Von Miller's quite that at this stage of his career, although he, he might be. <laughs> Whenever I watch him, I'm always shocked that he's this dominant. But that being said, the Bills don't have the talent on the roster like some of these other teams do. They're just, they're very good. But I don't know why Stefan Diggs is confused. Like, what else can we do? I'm like, well, you could sign DeAndre Hopkins. You could have done that. You could have traded for Tyree Kill. Their biggest hill, their biggest hurdle has always been they don't have another elite offensive weapon. And Stefan Diggs is awesome, but he's not Tyree Kill. And he's not Justin Jefferson. And he's not, you know, Jamar Chase. So he's not even in the upper, upper, upper tier. But receivers are weird. Like uh, anyone would take would take um Stefan Diggs. So it's funny to me that he's confused. I don't know if he's just completely belligerent to that flat fact or he's so team focused. I mean, clearly not right now, that he doesn't see uh, the answer that to me has been punching them in the face for two or three years straight. Like, why, why don't we get any other competent skill players? And it reminds me of when people would say about Aaron Rodgers, like, can't win the big one. You know, he's got Devontae Adams. Okay, yeah, he's amazing. He's got Alan Lazard. He's got Alan Lazard. That's an argument. He's got, you know, somebody else. He's got Bob Tanyan. What? You're just saying the names of the players on the team. These aren't superstars. You're not saying he's got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. You're just saying the names of the starting players. 
The reason why we know the names of these players is because Aaron Rodgers throws to them. And then the same thing is true. Hey, we got Dawson Knox in Buffalo. All right. So the 16th best tight end in the league. Like, what are we? That's not a we've got. So uh, it's the doldrums of the offseason. I didn't mean to go off on that, but uh, it's a very interesting topic to me. I think if the Bills get DeAndre Hopkins, they're escalated to uh, Chiefs and, and Bengals status, no question. But right now, uh, unless that um, the new tight end they drafted turns into a superstar immediately, I think they just have a, l- a little bit less weaponry to deal with. And I know people would make the argument, hey, the Chiefs don't have the same weaponry they used to. They only have one elite offensive pass catcher, but they have arguably the best play caller in the history of the game. And what do the Bills have? Well, they lost their awesome play caller, Brian Dayball. So you gotta you got to consider the play caller uh, – um, part of the roster as well. We know that in Pittsburgh. Hey, I gave you a heads up. My job's going to interfere with our podcast and I've got to jump off here, but I did have one Steelers perspective I wanted to offer. And then you can tear it apart. I don't have a theory. It's just an observation as um, like you, you mentioned before the Steelers seem to be sneaking up under the radar screen with talent. Although, you know, in Pittsburgh, we've been analyzing and looking at there, all these acquisitions through the draft and three free agency and trades. Doesn't it feel like the defense, both chronologically and from a maturity standpoint, are, are, have, are creeping up there. I just did a real quick and dirty back of the envelope. The average the age. age on defense is oh, yeah. 26, and I don't have time to go through who the likely starters would be, but somehow that feels like it's approaching 28 or 29. And I mean that, you know, I know Patrick Peterson Darryl? is a, he isn't oh, what man. he used to be, but we prefer to have him there than not. And um, between him and Cam, they're, you know, sort of the grizzled tooth veterans. It's, uh, it's interesting how the, the, the um, aging or the maturity of the defense, it, which yeah. I take to be a positive because I think these guys are all still, you know, obviously NFL starting worthy players. And yeah. uh, it's not as they might have more of a, a problem with who's going to assert leadership. Although right now it doesn't feel like there's any kind of inner scene conflict so sure. with, so with that your reaction that's a that's a great tee up do you want to hop off here and you can listen to my reaction editing the pod later or yeah go go with that uh apologize to the crew you're, you're going to do much better listening to nick than my uh questionable no, insights that was a great question that was a great great uh question to tee up here and i got an answer for uh-huh. for sure all right so godspeed thank you real life bye-bye okay so, regarding the advancing age of the defense, I think it all wraps back up into the number one exciting topic for us as Steelers fans that we've been championing on the pod here for a while, which is that it feels like the Steelers over the past three or four years, while they've been rebuilding, which is what they've been doing, when you lose your every single player who starts for you besides like two guys, this, the number one most exciting thing is the fact that the Steelers clearly have a very specific plan for the type of football team they want to build. They want to build a smash-mouth power football team. They're not just taking best player available. Hey, who are we going to get in the draft? I don't know. This guy seems sick. Let's get him. No. They are, I think they based what they wanted to turn their team into off of what they already had. And I think that with the selection of players, obviously you see there's been a big emphasis on personality. Uh, 
even bringing in the new offensive line coach last year, the big emphasis was we want people that are mean, which was very similar to the Chris Kiamatu uh, Steelers line, <laughs> the most penalized lineman in the history of the game of football, and that line who won uh, the Super Bowl against the Cardinals. Now, they were bereft. Is that the word? Bereft? Bereft of talent? We're just going to throw it out there. They weren't very talented, so they had to make up for it by being mean. Well, the Steelers are trying to get some pedigree on that line now instead of just being mean, but they got Najee Harris instead of Etienne when they had the selection of either one of the running backs. Etienne's amazing. I'm sure Tomlin would tell you, oh, yeah, that's a blue-chip type player, but we want the guy who's a power runner, who's going to run people over and who's going to wear defense out. We're, it's going to be hard for us to catch up to Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes in these high-flying offenses. Let's bring it down to the middle a little bit more, similarly to how Tennessee has done it over recent years, similarly to how Philadelphia has done it. So with the Steelers trying to make that type of team, that power team, I think the fact that their defense is older has to do with both that, having that identity, but also I think it's a realization that NFL windows are very short. They're really only a few years at a time. And then if you have a superstar quarterback, they sort of create an illusion that the window is still open because you're going to go to the playoffs, you're going to win a couple, you're going to win games, and you have like a snowball's chance that the quarterback could just go nuclear and, and lead you to a Super Bowl or whatever it is. But the windows are only a few years. The Ryan Chazier injury for the Steelers knocked their defensive plans back uh, pretty hardcore, and their inability to figure out the middle linebacker position has been a disaster. And they're, I don't know why the hell they keep letting homegrown cornerback talent out of the building with Mike Hilton and Cam Sutton, but for whatever reason, they've done that. And I think they see themselves in a position where, hey, our window's actually about to open like this year. And we need the defense to be ready. So we are signing veteran players like Levi Wallace, Patrick Peterson, Holcomb, uh, Cole Holcomb, and Landon Roberts. The reason why the age of the defense has gone up so much is because they keep signing old proven players. It's kind of like a Patriots-looking model. Larry Ogunjobi signed. You know, Tyson Alualu actually came out with an interview this week saying he'd love to finish his career in Pittsburgh. Badass. We love Tyson Alualu. Alualu. Um, that being said, and then obviously Cam's already old. And, you know, TJ's, you turn around, it's like, oh, I guess TJ's 27, 28 years old. Older than we thought he was. But TJ's the man. So I think they want veteran people in there because they've had some misses on defense. Devin Bush was a tremendous miss. Everybody else they tried to fill in there. This was a... Last resort, having to sign guys like Landon Roberts and Cole Holcomb. So I, I do think that the one of the reasons why the defense is so old is because they hadn't been able to keep a defense together. But they know, and, th and then they had to use all their resources in the draft on offense. And they did so wisely. Like, they've built a really nice roster together. They got their quarterback, hopefully. And now it's time to, to rock and roll with this offense that's barely under any big contracts. and. You have a quarterback on a rookie contract, so you're able to go spend this money. And all of the players that they've signed on the defensive side of the ball have all either been star players when they were younger or just extremely consistent role player starters. 
like the middle linebackers and Levi Wallace. So it that will also enable the Steelers to to emphasize another part of the personality that I think they're trying to make, which is having a smart and sophisticated and tricky and annoying defense. I think the Steelers want to get back to smash mouth football on the offensive side of the ball and exotic looks on the defensive side of the ball that is bolstered by pro bowl and all pro type edge rushers, a pair of them an all pro safety Sounds familiar? (laughs) It is eerie how similar it is to the beginning of Ben's career with Harrison and Woodley and Troy Polamalu and having all of these other veteran role players who are smart players will enable the Steelers and Mike Tomlin to move Minka Fitzpatrick around more. It will enable the Steelers to run more exotic looks, and I think that that's what they're looking to do. So very interesting point brought up by Papa Tom there. Thank you, Papa Cito. Appreciate that. And with that, we're going to close up the podcast. That's something cool to think about. Hit us up on Twitter, Steelers Outpost, Steelers Outpost at gmail.com. Until next week, until action, until football starts very soon, go Steelers. Steelers.